Hello and welcome to Taiwan Talk, where we share the stories of people living in Taiwan, as well as Taiwanese people living abroad. I'm Trevor Tordomasi, and joining me in the studio today is Manav Mehta. Hello. Manav is the host and curator of Red Room, which you may have heard of if you live here in Taipei. Red Room is an organization of the creative minds between the local and foreign communities here in Taipei. Um, and more recently, it has manifested into Red Room Rendezvous. It is a vegan restaurant, art gallery, and event spaceship. It says here spaceship? No, it's an event space. We can make it a spaceship. We can make it a spaceship. Um, it will take you on a journey, that's for sure. So uh, can you tell me what Red Room is now? Yeah, sure. Um, so Red Room uh, started out 2009, um, right? Like an like international community. 12 years ago? 13. 13, yeah. We started as, uh, with Open Mic. Um, and that's something you're quite familiar with because I think it was five years in, you ended up helping to host mm -hmm. several of the Stage to My Wine events. Um, I was the host for the first while, and then you came on board, which was great. And now, actually, I don't host Stage Time anymore. Addison does, and he's incredible. Um, you have to be bilingual. You have to have some form of, um, you know, empathy. You have to be able to relate. You have to be willing to listen. So it's a taxing gig, right? Yeah, um, but culture brings, of listening is strong there. Yeah, it's 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 the underlying theme in everything we do, and um, the community's strong. I think we just needed to readjust, so we started a more sustainable venture, uh, even though opening a restaurant during COVID is not sustainable in any way. Well, you got it right in before COVID, right? right? Okay. Yeah. Famous. Real smart. Yeah, real smart. Well, we, we recently talked to two, three comedy, Sam Yarbs, mm. and he, they opened, I think, in December November, December of 2019 as well. So right. it seems to be a popular trend to November, uh, have open December. Then. Yeah. Yeah. They survived. They rocked it. I think they thrived in the first uh, six months. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're bar heavy. And event now is, is, they're quite event heavy now. We are a restaurant first. Mm -hmm. And I think that in itself is a great challenge that we kind of overcome. And mm -hmm. we're still working through it. But yeah, so the Red Room now operates through a lot of its events and its community. The spirit uh, lives through Red Room Rendezvous. Um, but the Red Room is still as a community active outside of that space. Mm. Right. Uh, what else has Red Room been doing outside of, uh, outside of Red Room Rendezvous? So, yeah, I can't really speak too much about each detail of the activity. Basically, my mother, she's still the director of the Red Room. So mm -hmm. she, she, she runs all the activities for Women's Day. They did uh, creative uh, art boxes. It's hard for me to do it justice. Um, so yeah. you were pulled somewhat suddenly into your role as host back in the day at Red Room, I think in your second or third event oh sure okay yeah so my sister uh aisha was visiting taipei um mm -hmm. 2008 and from she, from australia from australia yeah from australia and so she was around and she had this idea uh, long story short she met up with ping ping is this uh entrepreneur he calls himself the ripple maker and his goal was to activate uh many young um, creative souls with opportunity. So when Aisha approached him with this idea uh, for a gathering, an international gathering, because at the time Taipei was not like it is today, right? Now, very few interactions in the arts realm, in the creative, poetic realm, storytelling realm, performing realm, uh, would you see foreigners and Taiwanese interact as much uh, as we do today. You would mostly see that engagement through big, big projects like engineering projects, like the high-speed rail, the MRT, different construction buildings and major commercial projects. But as far as like community-based interaction, I think there was a big, it was lacking. 
And right. so she wanted to help be a part of filling that void. I think many communities help fill that void. It's um, hard to believe that just 12 and a half years ago, I mean, besides obviously Red Room, ICRT itself, um, what else well it, it didn't feel at quite as connected i got here in 2009 so like right about then and i, I can i can see the difference huge difference um but yeah so she she ran uh, she hosted a couple of stage time and wine open mic events by the third one she was like i'm heading back to australia good luck mm -hmm. and uh yeah it was really tough because i think hosting poetry night and bilingual poetry night uh as a 17 18 year old for a bunch of 30 year olds you're not really relating to the room and you feel like it's forced, you feel like it's an act. And all of my friends were gone, college, fun, drinks, weird stuff. So at first it was really weird, it was really tough, mm. but it worked out. Um, and how has that role sort of put you on a trajectory to where you are now? Sure, yeah, I think um, I've just been a part of the Red Room with uh, some, some certain core members since the beginning. And my mom is a very, very big part of that. We call her the keeper of the faith, because mm -hmm. when we all give up, she doesn't. And um, yeah, Red Room's gone through a huge cycle of stuff. Essentially, we were a monthly pop-up open mic. And then after about four years, we had done, you know, one anniversary per year, a couple big ones. I think we're one of the only occasions where you can have 500 people listen intently uh, in silence to one person share a poem about this napkin they found that had notes from their grandfather's sea voyage in you know the early 40s and they decided to read it out loud for everyone in this room so we, these kind of occasions have been quite inspiring and we would gather artists you know so we'd have a lot of visual artists we gathered thespians we gathered musicians so essentially in the fourth or fifth year i think we were offered a space uh at the air force base so now we would have walls for our art for our visual artists. We would have a sound system for our musicians. We would have curtains for our thespians and we would have a space to keep our stuff. And so then we started running a lot more events. And that's when I kind of took the lead as the GM or curator, right. so to speak, right? Grab the bull by the horns. There was a sure. lot going on yeah. around that time. And um, lucky we had rent-free property because that place was huge. You can have like 300 people in there. And we had access to the outside space, which you're familiar with. And that Air Force space you can have, we, the most we had was like 3,000. So I think leading with this incredible team, we had over 100 volunteers at one point. Um, we did have a couple staff with us. Uh, that was pretty intense. We worked with different branches of government. We ran a lot of the art events. We were the representative international hub because it's in the center of Taipei. So Red Room kind of evolved into being this international village. That yeah. That is a pretty big victory. What were some of the challenges in that though? Government. Government. <laughs> okay. They, they were all the pros. And they were all the cons. Right. I think they're fighting against themselves. Bureaucracy I think just, is fighting against itself. Yeah. I think there's so many layers. And I think you, you meet someone with bright eyes and they're like, that's a brilliant idea. And you know, we have even better ideas that we can, you know, merge with that idea. And you're like, oh my God, it's going to be incredible. Your team is psyched. You're psyched. You do the report. And then within a week, oh, by the way, my superior said that, you know, this mm -hmm. and that and the color yellow is not their favorite so it's, we're gonna drop it I'm it's like, wednesday and i'm not allowed to be this excited exactly yeah, okay. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> i'm like oh okay so six months of work down the drain okay. i think another challenge was um you have to renew your lease uh every six months so you can't make long-term plans i think that's very challenging i think the idea that you had to prove yourself to renew that lease too. essentially mm -hmm. we were the first ones into the air force base and we're one of the longest lasting ones i think we did a whole four and a half years and most organizations didn't last more than a year yeah um like treasure hill artists have to reapply 
for their residency very often. A lot of them are longstanding, which, you know, they're, they're doing great. The Air Force is brand new. They wanted it to be Sogo number three for Zhongxiao, Donghua, Zhongxiao, Fuxing. So there was a lot of, there were a lot of disagreements and battles to even get it to where it was, to become an arts hub, let alone give it to some foreigners, uh, right. even though we're quite international, uh, you know, still like we're seen as that crowd. So I think there was a lot going against us and then we're really lucky to have made it and to have run what we ran. Yeah, I think your biggest triumph was probably like making it that far. Yeah. Um, and I establishing... knew it was the golden days. I knew that that wouldn't ever happen again. But uh, I mean, what it is now as, as a place where people can go, it has its permanent space. Um, R, do you call it R3 or Red Room Rendezvous? So yeah, we're working through that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think online, like R3.Taipei, it's easier. It is, you know, to me, it is an evolution of Red Room. So R3 seems kind of interesting as a thought. We have to really expand upon that. But like R cubed, I don't know what that means. But the mm -hmm. idea that Red Room Rendezvous, Rendezvous is the meeting point. Um, then it's our restaurant. Uh, it's our bar, it's our gallery, like you said, it's our event space. We get to do a lot what we used to do. We get to do a lot of new things. Um, yeah, as permanent as five years can be, right? Like during COVID, we signed a lease. It's a business, it's registered. We've signed a five-year lease. Even the landlord was like, are you sure you want to sign five years? I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, of course I want to. She's like, have you ever done this before? I'm like, of course. <laughs> Take a sip of wine. Of course I can do this. Not, yeah. <laughs> um, five years is intense, especially when your first one is when the city shuts down. Hmm. Um but yeah, yeah, two years in now. Almost two years in. We started that. in November. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Do you still, uh, what kind of events are you still hosting at the... Uh, yeah, so Stage Time Online is still running, right? Mm -hmm. And that's still got a really strong following. Is um, that the first Saturday, third Saturday of every... It's always been the third Saturday of every month. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So consistently, I think we've missed maybe 10 due to typhoons, last minute, you know, cancellations and switch ups or like COVID regulation and stuff. But we've been pretty consistent. So third Saturday of every month. And I think if you remember, like the original Stage Time of Wine, we didn't have Facebook events. Mm -mm. We didn't have a poster. It was word of mouth. And most people couldn't find the location. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't have smartphones. Yeah. <laughs> it was 2009 what? was a long time ago. Yeah. I think I came in like 2012 was the first time. And uh, and then as as the hosting was was jumped on you, uh, I think the, the hosting was jumped on me. But uh, I'd like to think that through Red Room, we've... Uh, We've seen a lot of things happen in Taipei. Not that you couldn't see those things happen everywhere else, but it was such an open, it is, had, has been such an open space for people to share um, whatever they wanted to do, like stage time and wine, um, being open for stand-up comedy, being open for uh, singing, dancing, jokes, or uh, napkin poems. Yeah, I mean, Maro, some people know him. Uh, he did a five-minute headstand once because we're like, you can use the space as much as as you see fit. Five minutes is the cap because we want everyone to have a chance to share. And he just went up and did a five-minute headstand. <laughs> is it still hard to enforce the five-minute cap? I think uh, we have a smaller space. Uh, Red Room served a purpose at a certain time. And today we're not the most popular spot in town and we're not the only open mic that's running in a, in a way that people love and people want to be repeat visitors or attendees or participants. So our crowd's not too big. Um, it's just right. It's just like the right size. So we don't really have people going too long. Mm -hmm. I think you remember we've had some events where you'd have way too many people. Mm -hmm. Like the space, we, one of the spaces could only fit 85 and we'd have 140. And then obviously if someone goes over five minutes, there's like three people grunting and, you know, murmuring uh -huh. in the back. Right now it's pretty comfortable. I think someone goes up, they do a couple of tracks, they do a couple of things. Everyone's really warm and welcoming and we have more than enough time. Also, we have no sound constraints. So we don't have to end by 11, you know. That's nice. We don't have to... Um, 
tell everyone to bugger off and find another after party. We have a bar downstairs. We have no sound complaints at our location. We're really lucky so far. Um, if there are any issues, like we just try to communicate like, hey, we'll, we'll wrap it up soon. But so far, nothing, even if we go till three in the morning. So I think we have our own space, our own sense of comfort. The sizing is good. We don't really need to go through the same rigmarole that we used to. Mm -hmm. One big difference is it's hard for me to get everyone to take off their shoes, which I think is a huge part of that is comfort it? level. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like you, you have the carpet, you take off your shoes, you leave your troubles in your shoes at the door. Unless you do a handstand for the whole time. Unless you do a handstand for the whole time, right. then you probably need more stability, oh. uh, ankle support, classic stuff. Mm -hmm. The problem is, you know, you're at a bar. So the idea of someone taking off their shoes at a bar where glasses break, uh -huh. people make mistakes. Like that's just not, that's just not a thing. So you've also uh, been moving on to some of your own projects, some of your own performances. You're using a handpan, which I've heard called a hang drum. Are there any other names for this thing? Yeah, it's a conundrum. Okay. No. Oh, I really like that. Yeah. So so I have limited understanding of some of its background, but like I'll try, I'll give it a shot. Basically, if anyone's if anyone remembers a little mermaid the right that's a steel drum so that's like an inward concave drum and it's from well it's definitely from the continent of africa but where when not sure um so this swiss couple i think about 26 years ago were inspired by the steel drum and they made one that has uh this inward but then they like m duplicate they mirrored it so now there's two shells that combine to one and there's a there's a usually a leather band that connects the two. And now you have this hollow inside drum that you can be melodic on because it has its own notes, um, but it's also a rhythmic instrument. So a lot of drummers take to it very, very quickly. Um, and now we get to make songs. We have scales. Um, so it's really powerful. And I think also the frequency of most of the sounds that come from a handpan are quite therapeutic. Um, it feels like a very suitable instrument for healing activities. Um, it also puts people to sleep pretty quickly, mm -hmm. which in itself is quite healing. And a problem for you when you're playing it because you have to stay it's awake for the whole Like, yeah, I'm the most caffeinated person in the yoga retreat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy hand, hand face. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a beautiful instrument. Uh, I basically about 11, 12 years ago, I would dream of having one. And it seemed like only uh, Caucasian. Uh, dreadlock wearing uh dudes had access to them and i was like what's going on and i realized mm -hmm. oh it came from europe you would have to write a letter to the swiss couple and they would have to approve of your letter and then you'd wait a year after spending your life savings to get one of these things that is crazy they had a they had the rights to it so much that you couldn't no one else could make one no one else knew how to make one okay no one knew what was going on and um so i think that was the hung those are considered the hung so mm. that's like the original and the couple I understand from what I understand, don't like it being called a drum. So I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to decipher what I'm playing, but I, I know it's a handpan slash hong. Like it's definitely not one of their original makes. Like I don't have access to those, Right. but essentially, so now 12 years later, I've been sponsored for, and I've bought three and I've been lent one more. So I have, you like, open the door to your room. It's just, they fall out. of. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm door. pretty, I'm pretty excited. Like it's, it's one of those, you know, I think it's very rare when you can have, you can trace back a dream you had over 12 years ago. And then 12 years later, you realize it's completely, it's all come true. And my aspirations for handpan playing were not very big. I just wanted to own some and play with them on a regular basis. So yeah, I've got, I've got quite a few now, which is pretty sweet. Can you make the sound? 
You've been performing around Taipei, around Taiwan recently too. Yeah, man. So I was gonna, I was telling you earlier before we got this started, like it wasn't, it wasn't just, oh, I have the money, they're available on Amazon. Let me buy a hang, a handpan now. After 12 years, uh, I was in India after traveling to over nine different countries for work. I had this really cool opportunity, and I ended up in India in Goa for this meditation retreat, and there was a djembe. I played the djembe with one of the drummers. He was like, I like what you're putting down. I was like, cool. He invited me to his place. Uh, we hung out and he showed me the handpan he he owns. And I was like, oh my God, it's it's black. It's rusty. It looks really old. It's handmade. And I'm like, I don't care, right? Mm -hmm. It's the handpan. It's loved, yeah. It's nothing like what you Google now and you'll see these shiny, beautiful, perfect metal objects. They're a very shiny instrument. Yeah. They're gorgeous. And there's mm -hmm. polish and some of them, you could see your own reflection. Like it's nuts. This one is literally black rust but I still thought of it as my new baby. And he said it reminded him of his ex-fiance. And I was like, I'll help you with that. He okay. gave me a killer deal. And so when I took it, within 24 hours, India had gone on national lockdown. So I was stuck. And to put a long story short, like I couldn't cook food. I didn't have access to a stove. And even though there was a beach right there and it seemed like heaven, like it was rough. And I was there for about 25 days. I ate about 700 calories a day. Like I was essentially starving, um, trying to make, make, make it work. It was extremely hot. It was like 42 degrees. There was no internet. Um, but I had three books, over 10 hours of podcasts, a hand pen, a guitar, my laptop that I could plug in and use and record and stuff. Um, and like tons of note paper. So Beard came out to like here. Um, <laughs> by the 25th day, uh, I was spending like seven hours a day on the hand pen and other stuff. Yeah. By, by day 25, I got lucky. My uncle got a guy to sneak me out to a hostel where I could cook. I had like, I actually got to eat some protein and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, living off of cashews for like 25 days was interesting. Mm -hmm. But I, I got lucky. I got on the last charter flight, made it to Delhi, bribed my way through two drivers who uh, took turns for a 33-hour drive over five states Whoa. where our life was threatened multiple times. Had to like pretend with the Mumbai chief of police on like one of the photo images on WhatsApp and be like, you want me to call this guy? Like it was a whole, obviously I'm just skipping a lot of details here, but essentially the handpan got into my hands at a particular time in my life, which was probably the most intense. Yeah. Um, and I think there was no sense of security. There was no, no one to call. There was no one to help. So that handpan is really dear to me. Um, so I, I came back, oh, I was broke. Uh, I didn't have that job that helped me travel around, but I had this handpan and I had a giant beard mm -hmm. and I was also like 81 kilos, it was ridiculous. Um, is that more or less? That than is like almost 18 kilos less than I am now. Dang. So don't open a restaurant if you want to moderate your weight, bro. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that was an interesting, that was an interesting bit. And I think for me, I don't think I've ever had the discipline of playing any particular instrument or doing any training, honing any craft. But when you're stuck in a space, you have no other choice and you want to work towards your own sanity, you'll give it time of day. So giving it six to seven hours a day for like 50 days, mm -hmm. I now feel confident that the handpan is something I'm going to play for the rest of my life. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like performing, I'm trying to do gigs. I have like six students. If I could say, I, I think having been at and involved with Red Room for many years now, I think the handpan suits the vibe. Sure, I, I mean... Almost perfectly. Uh, anything else? Uh, what else is going on in your life outside of uh, Red Room and handpan? Um, honestly, man, like I think we're trying to make 
we're trying to make the rendezvous the ultimate hub. I think one of the big things for my mission, my mother's mission with Red Room has been, it was a freak accident that, so now opening a restaurant as a business seems like the only long-term opportunity. So I'm just trying to make sure we can keep paying rent and we can stay stable. And one of those ways is to sell, sell a bunch of vegan food, mm-hmm. sell like, you know, get, get good events. Really tendons. good vegan food. So right now it's, my life's pretty much between Red Room Rendezvous, the staff, the team, some great people, and then handpan stuff. Red Room Rendezvous, you can still find Stage Time and Wine there the third Saturday of every month from, let's say, 7 p.m.? Yeah. Go to Red Room Rendezvous. You can find it r3.taipei on Instagram, as well as Red Room. Yeah, so please come on down for some vegan chow. Come on down. Yeah. Come on down. Um, we're at Jilong um, Road in Ta'an, uh, near Liao Zhangli MRT. So we're near all the fun stuff you like to go for anyway. Um, Red Room Rendezvous or r3.taipei on social. Yeah. All right, that about does it. Thank you for joining me in the studio today, Monif. Cheers, man. All right. And uh, for everyone else, thank you again for listening and joining us on this video, in this podcast. We will see you next time. Until next time, I am Trevor Tordomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday, English in the News, for useful English expressions explained in Chinese, and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.